Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. And what's up? Welcome back in GC Live Friday free-for-all edition of the show. I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. Welcome in. Uh, see, we got the chatters already live and fired up to start the weekend. That's always good to see. Gamecock Russ, first in line uh, per usual, uh, but a lot of the, the usual gang already in there. Of course, I'm Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark, and the show is brought to you as it is every single day, by our good friend Clint Hammond. We are presented by Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. That's right here in Columbia, South Carolina, right across the street from Dreher High School. Uh, give Clint a shout, 803-771-6933, or uh, just check out clinthammond.com for all the information you need on Clint and his business. Obviously, if you're not in the business to buy a house, we're not trying to convince you to buy a house, but if you are in the market for a house, all we ask is that you give Clint a chance to earn your business, or uh, you can just hit them up and, and see if maybe you can save a little bit of money on a refinance. A lot of people have interest rates locked in that are maybe a little bit higher, um, you know, than what is available right now. So give Clint a shout, clinthammond.com. A jam-packed show. Again, we'll be taking your questions all day long. It is a free-for-all episode of the show. So if you're that is one of the benefits of being on here live. We certainly appreciate you if you listen after the fact on the podcast. But uh, if you get in on YouTube, uh, that's probably the best way, or Facebook. When we do the show live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, that's a big benefit there. You can get your questions in. Uh, Chris, uh, plenty to talk about, man. Baseball series already underway. South Carolina taking a loss last night to LSU. We'll see if they can do what they've done uh, really the last two weekends of SEC play and, and bounce back and, and win on, on game two and game three. But uh, then, of course, football, several, several coaches really since the last time we talked have now spoken to the media providing updates on their respective position groups. And uh, while nothing really from a breaking news standpoint, I, I think there is at least something to sort of chew on there from, from all those guys. And we're, we're going to go through some of what uh, the, the various assistant coaches have, uh, have talked about so far. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there's a lot going on indeed. I, I, I really start with football, I guess, Wes, with some of the assistants that, that spoke. I went back yesterday uh, again because there was so much to digest and checked out what Pete Wimbo said. I think he talked for about 30 minutes. That was one that I honed on in because I knew it was going to be interesting, right? I mean, he's a guy that has just a ton of knowledge. He's The thing that stands out to me about Pete Wimbo is you can tell he's supremely organized. That's something that we've we've heard about him. And he does, you know, he's been a head coach before for for years, a successful head coach. And so he carries a little bit of that mentality into even a press conference setting. He's not, you know, as loosey-goosey maybe as a few people would. He's making jokes and things like that. But what I mean is he's just extraordinarily prepared. You can tell there's sort of a method to everything that he has. I think he had notes up there even, uh, not that he necessarily needed them, but had some notes and just – brought forth a lot of knowledge. I mean, gave a lot of specifics, breaking down exactly, hey, here's some guys that I've been impressed with. Here's some guys that are working on punt return. Here's some guys working at kick return, going into philosophies, going into recruiting. So I, I think that was one of the actually the more interesting things, I thought, from the last several days is just some of the different stuff that Pete Limbo talked about. And just, you know, we've seen him before in a media setting, but I thought it was pretty enlightening what he had to say, because there are some questions, you know, in the special teams game as far as how things are going to run and some of the personnel. And 
I think you shed some really interesting light on that stuff. I'm hoping uh, I'm actually working on it as we're doing the show. So I'm hoping to maybe have some comments from Limbo that will play uh, maybe some comments. Uh, the Eric Kimry and uh, Mike Peterson video slash audio not available yet from USC. So I'm waiting on that. If we get that in and I'm able to cut it before the show is over, I'm going to play a little bit uh, from either of those guys as well. But I, I think, you know, t- to me, and Pete Limbo talked about this a bit when he was first hired and had his introductory press conference. Chris, he he is right in there for me along the lines of um, sort of in the same brand as a Luke Day, um, obviously same brand as a Shane Beamer, in that uh, he puts such an emphasis on, on the culture of the program, the team-first mindset of the program, and you know his, his sort of ability to uh, – have an impact on everybody on this team. And I think obviously that's something we, you know, we talked about this before, Chris, there's a heavy special teams vibe throughout this entire staff, uh, you know, guys that have experience coaching special teams. And the thing about coaching special teams, as opposed to offense or defense, or even just a position group is that you have to address the entire team. A lot of times, uh, you know, you have to be sort of, almost like a, another head coach, uh, you know, and I think with Limbo, you know, he, he's officially sort of in that role where he, he's like an associate head coach and it part. So I, I think his role extends well beyond just special teams, X's and O's. And I, I really like the comment where he said, you know, we, we have, we have a scheme here for, for special teams. Um, as you said, it's very detail oriented, um, you know, you don't always hear coaches necessarily talking about special teams, even in that manner. It's almost like, okay, we have some, you know, some play, like everybody has to have a kickoff team, a kickoff return team. And obviously there's X's and O's to it, but he describes it as a a scheme and a scheme that is designed in order to help the guys develop and get better as an offensive player or as a defensive player layered into what they're having to do on special teams. So I don't know how many special, maybe all the coordinators look at it that way. I don't know that I've heard many of them say it that way and express it that way. And that I'm sure is probably a, uh, something they're preaching to the, the guys as well. Basically, Hey, when, when you do well on special teams, when you put an effort on special teams in practice uh, for one, you're going to impress a coaching staff that obviously places emphasis on that part of the game. But two, you're going to improve your ability at your respective position as well. And uh, to me, Limbo just does an outstanding job of putting things in terms where you sort of understand it or even look at it in a different way. Like I feel like when he talks – I'm sort of like, okay, that, that makes sense. Maybe that's always been the case, but he does a good job of actually explaining it. Oh, well, and that what you mentioned there in terms of how he can explain it is probably why he has a good coaching track record. You know I mean? When, when somebody can articulate concepts and make them relatable and make them understandable to guys like us, you know, project that to a football player who's smarter from an IQ standpoint about football than either of us are. Um, no offense, Wes to either of us, but, but, you know, I mean, football players have grown up around the game. They played the game. They, they have a good idea of concept and scheme. Um, even if they're freshmen, you know, for instance, and so when Pete Limbo can take those concepts and he can, you know, break them down that way and, and sort of explain the method to the madness and the madness to the methods, uh, that it's going to help with production. And so, yeah, he does have that, that sort of entire system, Wes, I was yesterday, I sort of fell down a rabbit hole of, it was actually when I was just pulling up the Pete Limbo online and ended up watching a Pete Limbo clinic tape where he was explaining punch shield protection and uh, and just going into some of the schemes that they use, why he changed schematically in the middle of his career. 2004, 2005, he changed his philosophy to become a punch shield team. The shield being, you know, just in general terms, when you see three guys standing in front of the punter, they close up. Um, so he talked about some of that philosophy. So just just pretty neat stuff. But I thought it was pretty cool to hear him talk about, you know, the players and developing them 
in other phases of the game, whether they're an offensive or a defensive player, of course. And obviously everyone knows that in terms of professional development, which in any college football player, that, that's going to be their ultimate goal, right? Um, some guys make it, some don't. But it's really going to enhance your value when you can play special teams. And I think, Wes, when you look at, at this team, you know, this South Carolina team, we can comfortably say that whatever – we don't know what's going to happen next season, right? But this is a team that is is it once again going to have a low margin of error. Um, if they can get into some close games, some competitive games against certain teams – you might see a situation where a special teams play can make a huge difference in that particular game. Whereas that might not stand out as much with a team that's really, really good or really, really bad. You know, a, a, a good or a bad special teams play might just be sort of a footnote, right? As opposed to being a significant part of the story. And we've seen that. We've seen some special teams play last year, the last few years. Uh, we've seen some of those plays make a difference in close ball games. So, um, you know, I think we we understate the importance of special teams sometimes. And so to have a guy like Limbo with his track record and experience, I think uh, can be quite helpful. Yeah, man, I think um, to, to your point and, you know, Limbo, I think it was actually Colin, Colin Taylor's question. He went into sort of his, I don't know, are they maxims? Are they just uh, goals? Are they basically the the foundational aspects of, special teams in general to him. And he, he actually went into these last time as well. I think I wrote a story on it, but the, the interesting, the most interesting one to me, or one of the most interesting ones to me, because it wasn't quite as obvious as maybe some of the others was um, the one at the very end about situational football on special teams. And I think this is where this goes back to where being organized sort of comes in. And that is being ready, being mentally prepared for those situations that are only going to pop up one time the entire season. And, and whether or not you are prepared when it actually comes your way to, to be ready for it. And we obviously, uh, you know, to your point, we saw, we saw the Tennessee game, uh, at the very end where South Carolina, because of a special teams issue, um, never got, not that they necessarily would have won the game, but never got the opportunity to get the ball back and have a shot to go win the game. So, you know, there, there are going to be situations where, you know, spe- special teams, go, they, it goes well beyond just, uh, you know, returning a kick for a touchdown. Um, the hidden yardage that he talked about, uh, catching the football on a punt as opposed to letting it bounce and you lose 10, 15 yards. You know, I, I can remember early Muschamp era when uh, against Georgia when uh, at home and a, a punt hits the ground and, and rolls 20 yards towards the end of the game and puts South Carolina in a situation where they uh, were, were unable to have good field position against the, in a game where they already were struggling, struggling offensively. So those, those type of things, the attention to detail, as you're saying, um, there, there may even be things that it's difficult to physically work on because they come around so few times. But I think when you have this organized approach, he even, he called it a matrix in that you're trying to figure out, okay, how many snaps is this kid going to be expected to play on offense? How many snaps is this kid expected to play on defense? Where does he most fit in? Can we use him on two special teams units? Can we use him on four special teams units? Where, At what point are we sort of uh, diminishing our returns because we're asking him to do way too much from a physical standpoint? So uh, all these different things, from, from our perspective, media slash fan perspective, outside perspective, I don't feel like we think about these things very often, but really the the coaching staffs that can be most organized, unless you are just that good, you have just that much talent that you just have so much depth that that advantage sort of disappears. South Carolina is not at that place yet. So making those correct decisions, putting guys in a position to succeed, that's something we always talk about on offense and defense, but it, it's there's a huge carryover there with special teams as well. There is. And, you know, to 
to break down a, a little bit more, go in more depth on an individual player and, and wrote a little bit about him, Wes. We both heard some things and he got some major shout outs from both Limbo and running backs coach Montario Hardesty, who spoke the same day, was Zaquandre White. You know, we'd heard that he's had a very productive spring, very good spring. His attitude's been great. You know, we saw it. I think par- most people probably remember that, that paid close attention, but in the midst of a really tough year, so Quandre White was a guy that, um, you know, just brought a lot of energy and a lot of positivity to the sideline, even when things weren't going well. He, he was, you know, and somebody made a big play. He was probably the first guy or one of the first guys off the sideline to go congratulate him um, in practice, in games, uh, hype on the sidelines and all those types of things. And, and in some ways that very much matches, you know, the – really the type of vibe that it seems like Shane Beamer wants to create at South Carolina. And so I think that was a guy that a lot of fans had circled uh, with Zaquandre Wright of just, he's still an intriguing guy because he's got so much talent. He played some last year, as Pete Limbo pointed out, he was one of the better special teams performers last year as a gunner because he can run, he's willing to do it. He has that great attitude. Uh, And from what we've heard from Hardesty and Limbo, He's got potential to help at special on special teams and at running back. You know, Marshawn Lloyd still not full go this spring. Kevin Harris, Rashad Amos, some other guys out there and in the mix. But Saquandre White's done a really good job at running back as well. So uh, he's someone that I think could could really play a significant role on special teams as a gunner. Obviously, running back as well. But but I thought it was intriguing that uh, and very interesting that Pete Limbo and Hardesty both brought him up separately. Well, and I'm, I'm glad you also said uh, Rashad Amos, which we, yeah, uh, we have to point out yeah. because we are, you know, an audio and video show, not just writing. I readily admit I have been calling the kid Rashad Amos since I ever heard his name, I think. So uh, Monterio Hardesty was very quick to point out, apparently this is the thing, that uh, his name is Amos yep. instead of Amos. But uh, anyway, so yeah, Zaquandre White, a guy that's going to help and – Chris, I, I think, you know, you look, and, and obviously Zaquandre is a running back, um, has played some DB, has actually played some linebacker in his career as well, but he's a running back. And from what Limbo said yesterday, these guys are going to have to be counted on much more. And this this is an aspect, again, Calling a lot. I don't think we necessarily have um, thought about as much because it's just something that, doesn't pop into your head, but how many times are special teams guys from your defensive secondary and from your linebacking core? Uh, quite a bit. So, you know, I, I think you you look, and we've talked a ton about how um, South Carolina has been, I would say, frankly, very thin at, uh, at in the secondary and pretty thin at linebacker as well. So, that that's going to require some guys at running back, at wide receiver, tight end, who are who are good athletes in their own right to step up and maybe take over some roles that otherwise you wouldn't have been looking at those position groups to get into. Yeah, wide receiver, tight end, running back, and you know, tight ends a position that you you see a decent amount. I mean, just thinking back to some of the special teams in past years, regardless of whether it was Will Muschamp, Steve Spurrier, you know, you can think of some guys at tight end, at receiver. Um, running back in some cases that contributed, but they are going to be leaning more on those guys. And some people may say, well, what, you know, what's wrong with that? I mean, receivers and tight ends and running backs, they, they got the body type, the speed you want. Well, one main thing is they don't tackle as much, obviously. And so when you go through the difference from linebackers and secondary guys, it's what Limbo said during his press conference that now you're trying to find guys that, yeah, they have the right, measurables the right body type they have the physical traits in terms of speed and being able to move and they have the football iq but now it's about getting somebody on the ground right and and that's much different i mean these guys that are running backs they're they're trained to avoid guys you know when you're a receiver it's totally different and so you're in some ways training a little bit differently when you're working on special teams and so that's why they're working through some of those things when you're talking about coverage units um who can go and get somebody on the ground, and, and that's what they're going to be looking for. Tommy says, uh, with this excellent addition to our show here, that we do not have a clue. So 
I would invite Tommy to uh, provide us with his expansive knowledge of Gamecock sports and uh, enlighten us all on what he has on his mind today. Uh, by the way, I think we've got the Pete Limbo. Yeah, a little bit from Pete Limbo here. This is sort of uh, goes right along with what we've been talking about. So, Chris and everyone else in the chat, this is Pete Limbo talking a bit about the guys. If I have it queued up right, I think I do, uh, talking about uh, some guys who've caught his eye. And to carry on, Joiner actually, once again, you notice a trend, Chris. Joiner has been the first guy out of several coaches' mouths. So, uh, that, that's obviously a, a good sign for to carry on. So we've been calling a lot of running backs and tight ends and wide receivers into duty on special teams and even on coverage units that are more often thought about for defensive players to be uh, involved. Uh, this spring, we've had to utilize a lot of those offensive guys. So we've been teaching them a lot of open field tackling, um, group tackling, where they have to work with other players in coverage. And, uh, and and trying to find out which one of those guys uh, can put their face on somebody and, and get a ball carrier to the ground because we're going to need some of those guys to do that. Um, some guys that have stood out, and, uh, you know, I watched all the film from last year, but, but that's not going to influence any decision-making. It's good to know who has seen action, but when the new staff comes in, it's really a clean slate. Um, been so impressed with D.K. Joyner and his attention to detail and how coachable he is and uh, how he grasps concepts, great practice habits. Uh, could really see him helping us on all four units. Nick Muse uh, has shown great leadership, great work ethic, really embracing special teams uh, and a guy that we need to find some, some roles for. Sherrod Green, just a runner-hitter, who's got really good feet, um, doing a nice job at linebacker and, and a guy that we're going to be counting on. Um, Brooks, Mangrum, I mentioned the receivers earlier, but those are guys uh, that show up every day. Peyton Mangrum's blocked a couple punts this spring and uh, seems to have a knack uh, for that. Tonka Hemingway, who's a D lineman, you know, a lot of times you don't think about those linemen, but uh, we do use a lot of big guys on the shield, uh, so you need big O-linemen and, and D-linemen for those roles, and uh, Tonka's done a nice job there. Some other guys that I need to see more of uh, here before spring ball ends. Uh, Jay Brown has flashed a few times. Uh, Mo Cobb has flashed some. Jalen Dickerson's working his way back uh, onto the field right now, coming off an injury. So those could be some, some guys that are contributors. Um, and then some guys that aren't here yet. <laughs> you know, Some guys that we've signed that are coming in this summer the Colby Fields of the world and the, the Bam Martin Scotts and, and uh, Caleb McDowell, who's shown promise as a returner. You know, we can talk about those guys now that they're signed and, and um, looking forward to getting those guys here this summer and getting them plugged in. So, Yeah, Chris, so, uh, you know, I, I think obviously he, he echoed some of the things we were just talking about, but um, several guys that, that clearly have caught his attention and stood out. Um, he, he threw me for a loop because when we do these, we're obviously we're doing notes to our members. And when he said Jay Brown, first my brain was like Jay obviously went to Jay Brown, um, former game got pitcher. And then my brain went to Jason Brown, who is the quarterback. And my yeah. brain like my brain would not process who he was talking about. And then finally I'm like, okay, that has to be Jamar Brown who I think is is a bit of a forgotten kid yeah. at this point, pro- probably at linebacker and, and on special teams. But someone if – you're, if you're looking for more dudes who can help in those roles, a healthy Jamar Brown is, is probably exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a guy that, you know, has that coverage ability when you think about his, his high school background and sort of his profile coming out of – coming out of high school and some of the roles that he played earlier in his career at South Carolina for Jamar, it's just been you know, a similar story to some other guys. He's just, he's gone through some injuries that have really limited him. And so uh, I was right there with you. I was trying to figure out, I was going to text my buddy Jay Brown and say, like, Hey, are you, are you playing football now or what? I, I thought he had all his eligibility was gone. I wasn't sure. I even went Jay Urich. No, no, no. Jay Urich doesn't play anymore to get the last name wrong. So uh, yeah, but I, I thought, um, Look, I mean, Jamar is obviously a key cog there, linebacker. They need him healthy. 
um, not just for special teams, but they need him um, for that linebacking core as well. Sherrod Green, you know, really significant to get him back for another season because he's a guy that we've seen progress during his career, had his best year the year before last. I think Wes obviously going to be playing a key role on the defense, going to play a ton there, but obviously someone who is who is impressed Limbo there as well. So uh, Peyton Mangrum getting a, getting a shout out there for blocking some kicks was, I thought, a really cool note. I mean, Peyton's a guy out of East Side High from the upstate, was a super, super productive wide receiver prospect. Someone that, Wes, I was I was shocked did not get some more small school interest in terms of offers um, or even maybe some group of five type interest uh, out of high school. It, it surprised a lot of people because he's a super hard worker. He was a, he's a good football player. And I think it was a, a good one to get on campus as part of the walk-on program and obviously already making some noise on special teams. Yeah, let's dive a bit into the running backs here. Chris, obviously with Montario Hardesty talking yesterday as well, as you said, uh, got some love for Zaquandre White. I, I thought this was interesting when he was asked about that room and the fact they're calling themselves Thunder and Lightning. And, he, you know, his, his response to that, very, very coach-esque. Like, this is this is what you expect the coach to say. But he's like, look, we, we got to see it on the field before, you know, I've Basically, before I'm going to start calling it that, we, we've got to see it on the field. Now, at the same time, he did express confidence in his guys, and he said the the expectation, the standard, is that he wants to build the best running back room in the country. Basically, that's the standard. Um, he went on to say you can recruit great running backs at South Carolina and that they you've seen that in the past. You've seen that in the history at South Carolina. There have been great running backs at this school. It's a great place uh, from a – um, geographical standpoint to be able to do that. So I, I thought that was interesting. Obviously, he knows he has several guys there that can help, several guys there that can really, I, I think, be a big part of this offense. And he had – I mean, right now, as far as the new coaches, he's in one of the best positions uh, of any of them as far as just inheriting a group where they're all pushing each other. And I think you – we obviously talk about Kevin Harris because of what he did last year. We talk about Marshawn Lloyd because of what he did in high school and the buzz we heard from him when he first arrived before he got the injury. But you throw in Zaquandre White, you throw in Rashad Amos, Amos, golly, Rashad Amos, and uh, Juju McDowell, you know, someone I, I think we've both been pretty high on and that we know Des Kitchings was high on uh, when he signed him as well. So – this room is um, – th- there's a reason for Carolina fans to be excited about it. And, you know, I I, I would be surprised if they didn't live up to that. Like, I, I think you have some – a really nice mix of, of talent here. And I think Hardesty is a dude – I mean, just listen to him. Awesome personality. I think he connects with the guys pretty well from what I've heard. Um, still a young guy. You know, played played not that long ago himself, and uh, you know I, I think there's a real reason to be excited about this bunch. Yeah, he he didn't take some of the, and I'm not saying this in a negative way with the questions, but he didn't take some of the bait as far as you know, all, all, you know, some of the comparisons and all these different things. I mean, he he said, look, everybody in the SEC is going to think that they have the best running back room. He said they got guys working hard too. They got talented guys, but he did sort of set that standard. And you're right, man. I mean, when you, you know, if you picked one position group on the team that's the best on in any phase of the game, you would have a case for running back. Some people may say D line, et cetera. Those would be the two. And in running back, you have a good case for it. And that's even without, that's without a guy that, that's without college Marshawn, as he described to, to Montario Hardesty. Um, now, Wes, who was the guy? Hardesty dropped some interesting comparisons. Like he at first he's like, ah, I don't really know, and then he sort of did it anyway. Yeah, it, it was like he wasn't going to go there, but then he couldn't help himself. He couldn't help himself. Really, I, one I had not thought of for Kevin Harris, and I don't think it's a dead ringer, but Kevin Harris sort of hard to peg. Michael Turner. That was a, that was an interesting one, and that was a good one. Michael Turner was a tank. I mean, he was 5'10", 240, 245. Big old dude. Who 
which back did he drop? Did he drop a Le'Veon Bell? It he was dropped. Like, yeah, he dropped a Le'Veon Bell for Zaquandre White. For Zaquandre, yeah. Now that was, um, and he kept he kept talking about Zaquandre's dead leg. Uh, that that sort of move. I'll yeah. tell you who had the best dead leg that I've ever seen at South Carolina was Demetrius Summers back in the day. Oh, like yeah. nobody. That dude never looked like he was moving fast, but but nobody could square him up. Yeah. Um, that he had, I don't know that that's one of the most unique running styles that I think I've ever seen, and it was very hard to to put into words exactly what it was. But he kept talking about the dead leg move yeah. that Andre White had, and and then he busted out a Saquon Barkley <laughs> for Rashad Amos. Yeah, yeah. Now, that one. When, when you hear Saquon, you're like, oh, well, who's this going to be? Because that's, you know, I mean, he was he was fairly good. And then it's Rashad Amos, and it's like, well, we knew, you know, we knew Rashad Amos is a talented guy. But now, look, and, and please, guys, don't start hitting Monteria Hardesty on Twitter this season. If South Carolina doesn't – all four or five running backs don't each rush for 100 yards every game. Don't start saying, well, you compared them to all these, all these NFL greats. I think he was trying to just say, ah, you know, hey, it sort of reminds me of this. But those were some interesting comparisons. I mean, they really were. I think he came up yeah, with some- I, I, whenever you give a uh, whenever you give a comparison like that, you're you're sort of talking about from a style and skill stylistic, yeah. Point. And yeah. it's sort of like, okay, if if you live up to your capability, this is sort of um, not Saquon Barkley. That's that's a tall task right there. Le'Veon Bell? Yeah, that, that's a tall tasks, task. Too. But, yeah, they're all tall um, tasks. Michael Turner, those are all tall tasks, yeah. And uh, but and, and then, like you said, the Marshawn comment was um, that Marshawn himself told him he couldn't compare him to anyone <laughs> because he hasn't seen college Marshawn yet. So right. good, good group of guys there, man. Great competition there. And uh, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm personally, I mean, we we've been talking about Marshawn Lloyd for so long. I'm personally excited to to see what college Marshawn looks like myself and see just how this thing plays out because that you know there may Chris there may be more rotation there than any of us were sort of anticipated. Like the more you hear, the more it seems like. Um, all the guys have a chance to make an impact this year. Yeah, that, that's going to be so interesting. And, you know, we, we've heard, based on what we've heard with this offense so far, and, and based on what we sort of know about the personnel, and even what some of the coaches said publicly about the personnel, there's a lot of talk about tight end, right? And I know we'll go into that soon, I think. A lot of talk about tight end. Well, why is that? Well, one reason is, you know, tight end and running back. I'll, I'll loop them in there. And you've got to lean for this offense. You don't look at it and go, okay, all these positions. There, there are a few teams out there in college football where you say they're absolutely set. They're really good up front. They got a great quarterback. They got playmakers all over the field, too deep. Uh, they got two great tight ends. You know, I mean, they're, they're not there yet as a program. They got some guys who have a chance to be really good. They have some guys who are already proven um, at certain positions, but, you're going to have to lean on your strength. And so for this team, they've got some really interesting options at tight end, a diverse skill set. And then they've also got some backs that we know are really good based on their talent level, their athleticism, their upside and their potential or what they've already done. A guy like Kevin Harris, obviously. So, um, so it makes sense that they're going to lean on those guys. And maybe that means we see an uptick in running the ball, even more leaning on that. And maybe that, means that we see even more guys out there. And Hardesty, you know, mentioned that. He said, you know, we don't really know. Is it going to be 60-40, one guy, another guy? It's hard to tell, and it, and it just depends on sort of how they go about structuring the offense and how they end up calling things throughout the year. Reed, with a good question on Facebook, wants to know, when will Marshawn Lloyd be full go? Chris, I don't know if I've heard a specific timetable on that, but – I know it, at one point Beamer was even talking about how it wasn't completely out of the question that he was at, you know, that he was back at the very end of the spring. And apparently he was able to run around, catch some passes on the field um, earlier this week. I think that would have been maybe 
Thursday or Wednesday, something like that. He is inching ever closer. I, I think you don't you don't ever want to push this. You know, you don't want to take it too far when you don't have to. But the the important thing for him and for South Carolina is it doesn't appear that it's going to remotely linger into like preseason ball or anything like that. I I would imagine right now what is it's April sixteenth. You don't push it at the end of the spring and then just get him back where he's full go with his teammates doing everything this summer and, and doing the, you know, obviously the, the sort of player run workouts and stuff like that. And obviously the summer is huge for strength and conditioning and, and all that stuff. So yeah, he, he's good to go. Has worked incredibly hard um, with his rehab and, and getting himself back in a position to be where he needs to be. So I, I think it's a situation where, um, he, he should be back pretty soon, I think. Uh, let's see. Chris says, we move a few of our running backs to a possible fullback or just rotate to the shotgun or rotate in the shotgun. You know, I, I Chris, have not heard much fullback talk. I, I, I think while, granted, this is a, quote, pro-style offense, that, that word or phrase keeps getting thrown around, I – don't think that's going to be near as big a part of this offense as what we've seen before. I think this is this is much more. I would almost say let's call it a modern pro style offense as opposed to a traditional pro style offense. Or that there needs to be some terminology to establish the difference because pro style, what we traditionally think of pro style is one thing. Pro style with what they're talking about right now is sort of like your Joe Brady, Sean Payton, um, you know, Green Bay Packers style, spread it out, um, lots of different formations, focus on mismatches. Um, there's going to be some under center, but I, I think much more shotgun than we saw last year based on what we've heard at this very early time. And, and I, you know, it sounds like I, I think you're not concerned, but your, your biggest question for this thing is going to be how well – can the guys take all this information that's being thrown at them and be able to digest it and then process it and put it out on the field physically where you can execute at a high and fast level? And then some of that will be on the coaching staff, Chris, to pare this offense down. Once you start getting into the season, you pare it down. Once you start getting into a game week, you pare it down even more, and, and that will be very important as the staff makes all those decisions. What It's almost like making a movie. What gets put into production and what gets cut and, and put on the cutting floor, You know, I, I think will, will be a big uh, question for this team or, or something, just a big storyline for this team. Yeah, well, and, and so far have not held back on install and you know, another pro element you could say, an obvious, you know, Marcus Satterfield influence here, Monterio Hardesty talked about this. He said it's been a very pro type of installation and in how they've handled things. They're not, hey, here's a here's a thing or two, and then we'll go back to it. It's they've thrown a lot of stuff at the guys, and and, and they're putting a lot in, and, and they'll pare it down and narrow it down from there. And one of those things, I think Reed on Facebook mentioned, you know, when you're talking about how the running backs may shake out, possibility of having a couple backs on the field at once is something we see in the pros something we might see at South Carolina in certain situations so uh, but yeah they, they've you know pro style again we, we've talked about that it's, it's a very different definition now and really it's another way to say multiple because now in the pros you're seeing a lot of different formations looks tempo you're seeing some college elements that have been brought into the pro game and vice versa it's really a mix and so uh, that the staff obviously Satterfield himself has a wide variety of different, he's worked in spread, he's worked in I, he's run all of these different types of offenses. And then he's worked with guys that have run different offenses. And so they're bringing in concepts from a lot of different places, whether it's Joe Brady at the Panthers, Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, and a bunch of other NFL teams that we've heard that South Carolina has been looking at. Hey, what's up, Travis? Welcome in, man. Travis Edwards, one of our normal listeners and watchers here on GC Live. And, you know, Chris, it, it sounds to me like there's going to be a lot of one, – one thing I, I noticed with Joe Brady's offenses is that, yes, everybody is spread now. And, and spread, you know, from a standpoint – spread can mean literally that, you know, your shotgun spread out. Sometimes we think of that, it means a lot of receivers on the field. For South Carolina, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a lot of wide receivers on the field. It could be more, uh, you know, of these tight ends are out there in various ways. But – um 
Brady, Joe Brady, I thought, did a great job of using actually tight formations and then using some of the same concepts we've seen in the spread passing games. But when you condense the field, you can do a lot of things as far as crossing guys over in their routes and using that to create these uh, these pick plays that make it makes them even a little more effective when when you start out tight and then expand out within you know after the ball is snapped. So I think you're you're going to see a lot of that potentially in this offense as well. And um, the tight ends and how they use the variety of skill sets within this tight end group is another very interesting conversation I think for this team moving forward and something that Eric Kimry talked about actually in pretty good depth as far as what each of these tight ends on this team brings to the table in terms of very different skill sets across the board. Yeah, I'm excited about this group of great tight ends. I think it's a diverse group in terms of their skill set. Nick Muse has been outstanding uh, this spring. He's an absolute professional in everything that he does. He's the first guy in the building he knows pretty much everybody's positions in this offense probably better than I do. Um, and he does all the little things right. There's everything you want in a guy that you coach. Uh, Nick does that, and he sets the example for the entire room. Uh, Pat Reedy uh, is a, another senior that is a walk-on guy and uh, gives a lot of effort and gives us some size down there. Uh, EJ Jenkins is a guy that's a, a hybrid type of guy that we're still figuring out exactly how we want to use him, but he's got a lot of weapons. He's a very long guy. He's pushing 6'8". I think he's got a wingspan of something about 82 inches. But he can really run, um, and he's a very uh, eager guy in terms of learning, very humble. Uh, so I, I love EJ. He's a great kid. Uh, Key Mullins brings a kind of speed factor on the, on the perimeter. Uh, he's still got to get a little more confidence in blocking, but it's something that he's working on and improving. Uh, Jaheim Bell is an outstanding athlete. Again, a guy you can use in multiple ways. He's one of the strongest guys on the team. Um, and he can carry the football, he can block on the perimeter, he can run routes, he can do almost everything. Uh, Trey Kenyon has had a fantastic spring. Uh, he's really coming around, and he understands the offense on a high level. He brings something in the running game and the passing game. He's kind of the all-around guy. Uh, Eric Shaw is a young guy. He's long. Uh, he's got to get a little bit thicker and get in the weight room, but he flashes and at times running routes. Uh, Jesse Sanders is a guy that's in our room now, too. He's coming off an ACL injury, hurt his knee the same day that Marshawn did. Wonderful human being uh, and brings a great presence and spirit to our room. And uh, Dave Adams is a walk-on that recently joined us as well, and he's learning right now. But a great group of young men more than anything. And, uh, and again, they bring a very diverse skill set to our, to our room and to our offense. Yes, you heard it right there from, from EK himself. But, Chris, I, I don't want to completely buy into the hype, but I, I do think – you know, when you compare it to the situation at other positions on this team, you know, as we were saying with running back, I uh, <laughs> I think the tight ends, to, to me, when you have a group of guys that have maybe a little bit more talent, maybe a little bit more experience, a little bit deeper, more diverse uh, skill set group there, that also, that, that means the honest is on them. Like the pressure is on them to carry the team and to perform up to that level. So I, I I circle running backs, I circle tight ends, I circle defensive line, and I say if South Carolina is going to make a bowl next year, if South Carolina is going to be an improved football team, if they're going to make the progress everybody on this chat wants to see them make, then running backs, defensive line, and tight ends have got to play well. And, and I envision, depending on what the receivers do as far as stepping up, I envision – you having lots of two tight ends, maybe maybe even three tight ends on the field, and it not being a jumbo formation, not like a goal line three tight end situation. You could conceivably have three tight ends on the field and, and be spread out to an extent. So I uh, that that's my current vision of what this offense could be. Could it change in the next five months? Of course, but that that's sort of where I envision this thing headed based on our current information. Yeah, and, I, you know, him, him breaking out the skill sets is very interesting. You know, Jaheim Bell, a guy you wrote more about this morning, Wes, and saying he can – I mean, what all what all traits did he mention? Carry, catch, punt, kick. What I mean, he basically do everything with the football in his hands or, or have it get to his hands. And so um, when you think about that, you think about Nick Muse, who's sort of your prototypical 
dual threat, I guess you could say tight end. He can be an inline tight end and block for you. He obviously can catch the football, make things happen in the open field. Then you have a hybrid guy like Jenkins who, you know, maybe you can put him as a red zone matchup. You could split him out. Um, you think about a guy like Bell that you can line up in different ways. So, yeah, it, technically, if you do that, let's just throw those three guys in the mix, Wes. You, now you're three tight ends. But you can put these guys in a lot of different spots. You can shift. You can make put guys in different formations. Um, and, and now you've got some – you maybe cause some issues for the opposing defense with the players of where's this guy counting, how are we covering this guy, and things like that. So – it, it is pretty interesting, and it is one of those spots, Wes, where you feel like there's there's some depth, not in terms of numbers, but they're just numbers, but there's some talent there too. And even if you fall, quote-unquote, to a guy like Trey Kenyon, who has not done much here so far, but we really liked in high school, and he's apparently taken a step forward this spring. Or if you fall to a guy like Eric Shaw, who, again, we really liked out of high school, and still has some work to do, has put on some weight, but has a ton of natural talent, then that shows that you've got some good guys in that room. Yeah, man. Kenyon is a kid. He's been kind of an afterthought because of the guys that have been, you know, quote, ahead of him. But, I mean, dude, you and I watched this kid at South Carolina summer camp just mossing guys left and right, going up and catching the football, making big plays. And, uh, you know, we were really high on him, as you said, out of high school. So uh, the depth is there. If I'm South Carolina, I'm at least once rolling out the five tight end, the first ever five tight end formation, and uh, just doing it out there, just A, to see what a defense would respond with, and B, to use it in recruiting as well. You know, be like, hey, we, we're going to find a way to put our tight ends on the field. We got five wide at tight end. And and you could actually do that and probably do some damage with this bunch. Um, you know, you're laughing, but it. I mean, it that, could, that, that'd be funny. I, I was just sitting. It there would work. It would work. I feel like. I mean, yeah. when one of your guys is six seven and a half, um, that's uh, that, that's doable. You can you can work with that. So anyway, dude, I, I think let's see. Mike Peterson was the other coach. Nothing breaking, but. Some more love for Jordan Birch. Uh, Peterson, I can tell y'all, Peterson is not a guy that BSs. He's not a guy that overhypes um, the kids. He's not a guy that pumps somebody up if they if they don't deserve it. He said himself, he's like, I'm I'm hard on my guys. I admit that. And but they also respect him. They respect him quite a bit. Yeah. And a few of the kids or a few of the guys were basically saying part of the reason I came back was because Mike Peterson was back. And when he says things like, I think the fans are going to be impressed with the progress that Jordan Birch has made since last year, when he was really just sort of doing whatever he could as a, you know, as, as a freshman, no spring practice, limited in-person summer stuff, that caught my attention and uh, goes along with some other things you and I have heard, but for him to say it to me is much different than just any coach to say that. It was. And and you're right. The players love Peterson. I mean, Enigbari, Aaron Sterling, Jordan Birch. I mean, these guys had really good relationships with them. And I think with Peterson, he, he is, he's not a BSer. Like you said, Wes, I'm thinking back to some comments he's made publicly in the past. And it's just sort of, this guy has to do this. And we're working on it. I mean, he's not demeaning the guys. And you watch his coaching style on the field. It, it's tough, but it's not, you know, he, he's just coaching guys. I mean, that's that's really how you can describe it. And so, uh, Birch, again, Peterson's one of many who said publicly or privately about the strides that Birch has made. And we knew the talent was there, Wes. Obviously, last year, for a lot of reasons, one of them being preparation leading in spring, the weird summer without being able to work out as a team, like you said, Wes. A lot of the plays, if you think back, that we saw Jordan Birch made last year, it was just, wow, nobody else can do that type of plays. You, you put that together with greater scheme knowledge and more time to prepare, then you have you have a recipe for a guy that I think will take a, a pretty big step forward. Yep, so that's, uh, again, if everybody wants to see the full videos, you can find those 
YouTube.com slash Gamecocks online. That's where South Carolina officially houses all of their, their press conference videos. You also, I'm not even going to try to summarize the Frank Martin press conference. I think it was 70, 72, 78. Um, the, the press conference was almost as long in minutes as EJ Jenkins wingspan in inches, which is 82 according to Eric Camry, which is just stupid insane. That's crazy. And so I'm not even going to try to summarize that. There is a lot to take in and process there. If you want to go back and watch it, that's available online as well. And then I guess we'll hit a little bit of baseball before we let everybody go and uh, start to enjoy their weekend. South Carolina losing on Thursday night, of course. And Chris, uh, not not the way they want to start the series. Obviously, good win for LSU. Their LSU's pitcher uh, for a team that struggled this year. This dude was a monster. Um, pitched very very well. Had South Carolina off balance all night. I don't know how much of the game you got to see. I, I watched most of it. And then when when South Carolina did have a, a few, now there there were fleeting opportunities with guys in scoring position. When they had a few of these opportunities, were not able to take advantage of them. And you know, I, I continue to uh, to think ultimately one of my just sort of lingering like things that won't go away in my head areas that I think this team has to improve is uh, is base running a- as a whole. But um, I've actually noticed that I've noticed that with the Braves as well. Like the Braves base running is not all that great. So I, I don't know if it's just something I'm noticing or or teams that I'm watching are making base running errors, but. Um, Obviously, we've seen this team does not panic when they lose a game one. If anything, they seem to sort of take their focus in and take their game to a next level. And I I think it's almost like things sort of even out. Like, yes, you're you're always facing a stud on Friday, but Brandon Jordan on Saturdays or or game two, you know, uh, today will be a Friday. But on game twos, most Saturdays, Brandon Jordan – has just consistently given South Carolina really good starts. And then once you get it to Will Sanders, yes, he's a freshman, but to me, he's as talented of a Sunday guy as there is in the entire league. So when you sort of get to that and other teams are on their third guy and maybe aren't quite as talented in that spot, it sort of reverses for them. So South Carolina will definitely win one of these next two games. The key to winning the series I think is to to win today because I, I do think they will win tomorrow. Yeah, and, and that's always the key is just, you know, was game one and, you know, it was against Missouri and, and Georgia certainly was game one sort of an outlier where South Carolina just didn't play all that well. And then, like you said, Wes, things evened out. The, the back end took over. The bullpen strength for South Carolina took over. And they were finally able to string together some hits or hit for power. Obviously, they didn't really do any of that last night on the hitting front. You know, the pitching was still fine. I mean, this is an LSU team that we knew could put up runs. I mean, LSU putting up, what, five runs in a game. If, if you would have come to LSU scored five runs on Thursday, you wouldn't say, oh, they definitely won then. I mean, that, that was not a huge shocker. Thomas Farr, again, a little bit. You mentioned this with Colin on Wednesday, Wes. A little bit of early struggles, right? And then he sort of broke out of it and, and, and performed a little bit better in the middle part of that game. But South Carolina, th- their story there was really just not being able to string together the hits. They had many situations with guys on base. One time they what they had the bases loaded, hit to a double play, scored one run, but a chance to score a lot more. So that's going to be the key for them, hit, hitting a little bit for power, putting together some big hits, extra base hits, and just having their pitching that they've leaned on all year do what it has done in the past couple SEC series where they've come from behind to win the series. And and hit much better with runners in scoring position than they did last night. And take now I, I you know generally here's the thing. A lot of times in game they, they didn't have very many opportunities in the first place. But so your baseball is a game of percentages. So really I've always said a big key in being good with runners in scoring position is to get your guys in scoring position early in the inning, not when you already have two outs. Because percentage wise, you know, if you if you can if you hit for a three hundred average, so 
30% of the time you're getting a hit, you're in the Hall of Fame. So from a, from a percentage standpoint, if you get guys at second and third and there's already two outs in the inning, your chances of scoring in that inning are actually still fairly low. Now, if you get guys in scoring position early in the inning, then that's when you really have to do damage. And for South Carolina, obviously they they, they were only down two to nothing. Everything had gone against them. And there was a point in this game they were only down two to nothing. Pretty sure it was only two to nothing at the time and not three to nothing. They had a leadoff triple to start an inning, and then they're unable to score there. To me, that that's what really killed them. And they even they actually loaded the bases in the ninth and, yep. uh, and had a chance to, to start to actually make this thing interesting. And they did the one thing that you can't do, and that is hitting to a double play. So we'll see if they can bounce back. I have no doubt they'll play a bit better today, and we'll uh, we'll see what that looks like. But other than that, I think that's it for us. Hope everybody has a great weekend. By the way, so did um, did Gamecock Russ ever pick an MLB team? Because I, I saw on Twitter that he was a free agent, and – I'm wondering. I know there was a top five. I think the Braves were in it. Maybe the Dodgers were in it. Um, a top five. Know. He released a top five. Was there an he, edit? You mi- oh it. yeah, you missed this. I missed that. I missed the edit. Wow. Um, I'm waiting on his response here. There's a little bit of a delay between when we talk and it goes uh, to the chat. He's still looking. So, also, Chris, the Bra- the Braves may not be very good right now. They're going to be fine, but Ronald Acuna Jr. right now is the best player on the planet. Dude, what he's done, we were talking about this on the phone the other day. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's almost unofficial stat. Every other time he comes to the plate, he hits a 400-foot home run. But the most impressive thing that he's done all year is not all the home runs. What is it, seven, eight, now west, I think? Mm -hmm. It is – him legging out that single the other day, an infield, a short infield single. It's not like it was deep in the hole or anything like that. And he got to the plate in about two seconds. I mean, it, it was – if you have not seen that clip, look up Ronald Acuna Jr. legging out the infield single. Routine play, not a tough play. Shocker. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, he he's it's it's other word otherworldly at this point. Um, by the way, Brian with an excellent point. South Carolina swinging at too many pitches out of the zone last night, and yeah. some of some of that is the fact that you did have a, a really good pitcher on the mound who had all of his pitches and was controlling all of his pitches. But to Brian's point, some some of that is mental. It, it's one thing to swing at bad pitches when it's an 0-2 count or a 1-2 count. You know, you see fans all the time. They're like, why are you swinging that? How do you swing at that? Well, if you have two strikes, you're sort of – you're just guessing and you're having to you're having to try to protect the plate. So your chances of swinging at those pitches is uh, and missing is, is fairly high. But if you're already ahead in the count and – you got to sort of know the situation. You got to know who's behind you in the in the order. You got to know what the other team's trying to do to you. And yes, I know if you're a middle of the order hitter, you're up there wanting to do damage. But if they're pitching around you, you have to just take your walk. And and I think that's something for South Carolina. Sometimes they have gotten a little ahead of themselves and trying to do too much damage, as opposed to just you. Sometimes you have to just pass the baton, take your walk and let the next guy try to come through because when you try to do too much, that's when you expand your strike zone, you strike out, and you're doing no good striking out. I, I know you want to do damage, but actually getting, you know, taking your walk can sometimes be just as effective. So that that's a, an excellent point from, from Brian there on Facebook. But, yeah, I was trying to find the stat, man. Ronald Acuna and the nine Braves fans, I mean, the show's over. You can cut it off at this point if you want. But Ronald Acuna – I'm trying to find this graphic I saw. He was tops in the NL or tied for tops in the NL. It was like home runs, RBIs, total bases, 
um, batting average, OPS, slugging. I mean, it, it was like ten different stats. Yeah, doubles that that he was either top or tied for top in the NL. So um, crazy, crazy, crazy. He if if you are you don't have to be a Braves fan if you are any type of baseball fan. Ronald Cunha Jr. Right now, there's no way he can keep this pace. It's impossible for anyone to keep this pace. But he is must see TV at this point. Getting on base literally half the time that he bats. It's insane. So Braves are on right now, by the way, play, uh, facing the Cubs. But I think that's going to do it. Everybody have a great weekend. Um, don't drink too much, but go have a lot of fun. And uh, for Chris, I'm Wes. We'll see you on Monday. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.